Hi, my name is David Speed. And I'm Adam Brazier. And this is the Creative Rebels podcast. Featuring inspirational stories and practical advice from some of the most prolific and successful creators in the world. Adam and I have co-founded multiple creative businesses and turned our varied passions into our careers. There's never been a better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people will tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to show you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. I'm going to do a shout out. Who are you shouting out? Is that is that a thing that people still do? I think it's still a thing. I think that's, okay. that phrase isn't no longer cool and people don't say it anymore. Uh, we had a very lovely message this week from Serafina Neville uh, yeah, on Instagram. A very lovely message. She said that she has introduced our podcast to her mum. So just wanted to shout out Deborah because this, this message was really inspiring. Basically, Deborah has been a kind of long-term carer um, looking after people in her family, uh, which I know through having family members who've had to go through that I know what a difficult thing that is to do she is just getting back to rediscovering her artistic roots and um, listening to the podcast is helping her get there so that is super inspiring for us yeah that's really great and I wish my mum still listened I remember when we first launched the show she was avidly listening every single week and then I saw her one time and I was like oh are you still listening to the podcast and her answer was no you released too many episodes so <laughs> So one, yeah. one a month to get your mum back on board. <laughs> so yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Deborah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm um, specifically in this message. One of the things that Serafina mentioned was um, that we do talk sometimes about age. And so, yeah, just to reiterate, I think that there's every time we get an older person messaging us, they always say they assume that they're the oldest person that listens to this podcast. Yeah. Um, and that's probably not the case. And even if it is, it really doesn't matter because we live in the age of the internet where no matter how old you are, no matter what you do, who you are, we had the creative thinking episode the other day where we read a letter from a listener who is pretty much bedridden, like can't go to meetings, can't get out of the house. But because you have an internet connection, you have the chance to have a creative career. Yeah, I think a lot of older people don't start on social media and start kind of creating a business online because they think that the kids are so much further ahead. But I think from like doing this show, you realize that a lot of people, even the younger people don't, yes, they can use a smartphone and yes, they're on all the social media platforms, but they don't know how to use it for marketing. They don't know how to develop it into a business. Yeah. And I think as someone who's got a bit more life experience, you can transfer that into a digital platform really, really quickly and probably easier than a younger person. And and plus, I feel like you have the advantage of because there's because that space is not crowded. It's like if you're a 19 year old influencer, you've got your work yeah. cut out for you. Um, if you're a 65 year old influencer, there there are so fewer 65 yeah. year old influencers that you, that you have to compete with. There's so much room for that. There's so many older people using the internet and using social media platforms now, and they don't have those people who are like them. And I feel like any people that I follow and watch online are people who are similar to me and they're like me and they do the things that I do and do the things that I like. So having people who you can relate to, I think is a really, really important thing online. So if you are older and you are a bit wary about putting yourself out there online because you think that I'm too old for that, then that's completely rubbish because a lot of people who are using the internet are your age and they're looking for people like themselves to what? Yeah, 100%. I, I think everyone has that um, that fear of posting online. We certainly had it of that people are going to come in, they're going to tear you down. That happens 
really rarely like it is yeah. actually really rare that that most people online will come across a, a hater i mean it can depend on your content if you're talking political then 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 expect the hate be ready for it that's that's part of the job yeah. um but if you're posting about something if something creativity re related i really feel like hate is is it's so rare if it if it comes at all yeah i think you only and really hit I think you hear most hate from people who are like really big creators and they've got a huge audience. And I think the bigger an audience you get, that's when the hate starts to come because you just get these people who come in into the arena. They don't really know what's going on and they just decide to, yeah, throw a bit of hate into the mix. But by the time you've got to that level, then you've you, got a whole army. It's like we know that if yeah. we post something now that you guys have got our back if you're listening to this and that you would jump in the comments and defend us because someone who's just discovered us and thinks, oh, why, why should anyone be listening to your podcast? Then then you guys would defend us. So I think once you do, so just don't worry about it because once you've got to that stage, you're going to have your defenders who are loyal to you anyway. And it's all about it's all about finding your people creating the content that you that, that relates to those people and and you you build them up around you you all go on the same journey together and talking about growing people around you like one thing that's been really amazing to see for us is the people who've been supporting us on patreon yes indeed we are indeed on the website patreon which is a place where you can support this show um if you think it's useful if you think that we should carry on making it and uh, you'd like to help us pay for our studio bills then we'd love it if you supported us there yeah you can go to patreon.com forward slash creative rebels yeah and anyone who signs up currently we're going to give like a, a personal call to if you want one so if you've got anything you want to talk to us directly about like we're happy to jump on a zoom call and, and really help you out with that Yes, absolutely. And we had a couple of messages from people. Obviously, this is like where pandemic times and all of that stuff is going on. Um, we had a couple of messages from people who after we had set up the Patreon had discovered it and said, I'm really sorry. And they felt really bad and guilty about not supporting us. Like, don't worry if you can't. Um, if you've got questions, still DM us and we will still reply to them. This is just something for those who are able to support us and people who say, I'd like to buy you a coffee and pick your brains. They have a chance to buy us a coffee every month and uh, and we're here for that. So, um, so yeah, if you're not in that position, don't worry. But if you are, then we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and definitely talking about pick your brains as well. Like if you do want to pick our brains, this is the perfect chance to do that. Yes, if you'd like to watch um, some of the other calls that we've done, they are uh, posted up on our Instagram at Rebels Create. Um, this is turning into a very much a um, a, a housekeeping intro. Yeah, but, uh, it does seem to piece of housekeeping. Way, yeah. <laughs> Uh, one thing I did want to want to mention uh, in this intro is I just want to this is just a thank you to anyone listening who has reached out to a guest that's been on the show, yeah. um, because for us like we obviously we do get messages from you guys but when we hear that you guys have messaged guests that have been on the show and and told them how much you've you've got from their interviews um, that's really lovely for us to hear. I think one lovely part of this show is the fact that we've made so many friends out of the guests that we've had on. And I was talking to one of the, the previous guests, now friends recently, and yeah, she was telling me about how someone had messaged her like recently. And we recorded that episode over a year ago. And it's nice to see that people are still listening to those older episodes, still getting value from them and reaching out to those guests, because it really means a lot to those people, especially if the content they normally put out isn't specifically motivational or they're not trying to help people with their business. It's, I think those people really appreciate this kind of feedback. Yeah. And it makes our guests feel like, um, 
like it was worth their time coming on the show, which is which is really massive for us. So, um, so so thank you for that. So switching gears, then this week's episode is it an episode or was it just an interrogation? We had so many questions for Chloe <laughs> um, around the the topic of anxiety, and I think we um, I think there's some really good uh, tips in this episode. Yeah, it's a really interesting episode, and I think because Chloe is a hypnotherapist, there's just lots of like really interesting, fascinating things about how the brain works and why we feel the way we do about certain things yes yeah, so if you've ever felt any anxiety of any kind then this episode's probably really going to help you yes chloe brotheridge is an author podcaster and anxiety coach chloe suffered with acute anxiety as a child and after conquering this herself she decided to help others and stop worrying and start feeling more confident she says that no one was born with low self-esteem it was learnt, so we can unlearn it in this episode, we talk about anxiety, controlling your thoughts, and being yourself. When we can learn to relax and calm our nervous system down, and if we can learn to accept ourselves as we are, that enables our you know, authentic self to, to come through. Hi, Chloe. Hello, hello, hello. So I hope you're not nervous about doing our podcast because you're you're the expert in fighting nerves and anxiety. Well, that doesn't mean that I don't get nervous. I think people sometimes think that I must be calm all the time, but of course there are some moments where I'm not calm, like when the when the power goes off right before you're about to do a podcast, for example. <laughs> otherwise <laughs> It's it's almost one of those things of of you started working towards solving the problem that you were having because you struggled with anxiety ever since you were a little girl. So, I mean, I don't really like to think of it in terms of solving a problem or curing. I don't think that's necessarily okay. what we do with anxiety yeah. because it's normal to, to worry. It's normal to nervous, to feel fearful. These are just normal human and emotions. So it's not about curing that. I think it's about not letting it hold you back, not letting it ruin your peace of mind learning how to calm yourself down so that you can enjoy your life essentially i think yes yeah, because you don't want to get rid of it do you because it must have some benefit yeah well they say that only psychopaths experience no fear and it's because the amygdala in their brain is much underdeveloped compared to normal people so if you don't experience any fear you might be a psychopath and i think i'd, <laughs> I'd rather have a bit of fear than, than not care at all about other people or you know have that that lack of emotion so we should experience it and and kind of sit in it but obviously there's there's people who are like really struggle with anxiety and so when you were a kid you you like you had your first panic attack when you were really young how do we manage that balance between accepting that anxiety is something that's going to happen to us and the actual physical man manifestation of when we can't breathe and it's and it's kind of overtaking us. Obviously, there's a whole spectrum of anxiety. It can range from worrying to physically feeling like you're dying, like your heart's going to explode out of your chest, going to A&E because you think you're having a heart attack. And that's, I guess, a panic attack. And, you know, no matter how you're experiencing it, I think it if it's bothering you, it makes sense to take some steps to, to get some help or help yourself in some ways. So, you know, there's no any minimum level of anxiety before you need to get some help or, or do something to help yourself 
um, it's okay to to ask for help, you know, if you're struggling, I think. Yeah, so I heard you say that it takes on average like 10 years or something to before people start asking for help. People don't really see it as a problem. They just think it's just them, I suppose. Yeah, so that's, that comes from Anxiety UK. And I mean, I know that I felt when I was first feeling anxious that I was the only one that felt that way that no one would possibly understand, you know, me and my feelings. They were far too complicated. And I'd never, no one was talking about anxiety when I was 15. And so I never thought, oh, this is something that other people experience. It's really common and I can get help for it. And I think a lot of people sometimes get so used to being nervous all the time or worrying constantly that they think that that's normal and find it hard to imagine that there's another way to be. But of course there is, and it's incredibly common you know if someone's struggling with anxiety you are amongst 25 percent of the population who feels anxious all or most of the time what were some of the ways that it used to manifest for you i would say i've experienced a lot of different types of anxiety from panic attacks where i felt like i was dying and having to go to a and e um health anxiety where i would obsess about different aches and pains in my body social anxiety where i get so nervous about meeting someone knew that I would literally shake which is very very inconvenient and embarrassing to just kind of generally worrying about everything so I've had a whole range of different types of anxiety and yeah can definitely sympathize with other people that might be experiencing the same I read that um well I read it in your book actually (laughs) (laughs) um and and so for for women specifically they're twice as likely to suffer from anxiety as as men are why do you think that that might be it's, it's such a complicated one that that um, data comes from the mental health foundation lots of different reasons so one one theory is that women's brains are more prone to react to stressful situations so we're more likely to go into fight or flight um, and there are various kind of evolutionary reasons why that might be other reasons are um, media and social media there are, I know this is not to take away from the pressures and the things that men experience at all, but um, a lot of people will say that perfectionism, for example, fear of failure is more likely to affect women. And of course, it affects men as well. But this um, sense for some little girls growing up that they need to be good girls, that they need to be perfect, they need to look a certain way. And those sorts of pressures could could add to, you know, women experiencing more anxiety. Um, yeah but it's complicated I think. I think I think one of the things there as well is as you were describing that you were kind of apologizing and being like well but it does apply to men as well because you're kind of you're almost predicting someone going well well men feel it too and it's like yeah dude we understand like yeah some men feel it too but if the fact of the matter is that twice as many females feel it as males like twice as many then that's like such a significant group. Like, yes, obviously we need to help the the guys that are dealing with it, but like we need to look at what the obvious, I, I would imagine societal issues are that are causing this anxiety amongst females. And, and I mean, I'm just an idiot, but like of, of my observation, it would I would think that it would start in school and it would be the the messages that we're, that we're conveying to boys and girls that are, are really different yeah that's so interesting and just noticing what I just said I was apologizing I think that's the people pleaser aspect of me and that's a, a common thing amongst men but but women more so to try and keep everyone happy 
happy, to be the peacemaker, to, you know, make sure other people are okay. And I think we're sent this message that we need to uh, put others first and that makes you a good person. And so that was, yeah, me displaying my people pleasing just then. So people pleasing, obviously it sounds like a great word, like you're pleasing people. It sounds like something that's really, really positive. And I imagine there's a lot of people who are people pleasers who would see that as a good thing in themselves. But obviously it's not always a good thing, is it? It does sound quite nice, but the the reality of people pleasing is that once you, you know, dig a bit deeper, quite often you find that people are, are resentful about the fact that they always feel they have to put other people first. And actually that resentment or burning out because you're not looking after your own needs and you're not taking care of yourself enough it actually doesn't end up helping anyone because if you're resenting someone or if you're you know on the point of burnout that that is going to seep out to the people that you love and the people that you work with so I think actually it is the kindest thing to to look after your own needs um, as well as other people's, not to make yourself a martyr to what other people might be thinking. And how do you acknowledge the fact that you are a people pleaser? What signs can you kind of look through in, you, in yourself that will show those traits? Yeah, so it might be things like apologising a lot. It might be, you know, saying to friends, oh, what do you, what do you want to do? Yeah, I don't mind what we do. And maybe you might have a feeling inside. It might be, you know, feeling resentful or feeling like you're getting walked all over but not really knowing why. And so I'm always encouraging people to ask themselves, you know, what do I want? What do I need in this situation? And I suppose another big thing I see a lot is saying yes to things when you don't want to say yes to them. So do you find yourself agreeing to to do a piece of work and then the day rolls around when you have to do it and you're thinking, why did I agree to that? You know, I didn't, I didn't, didn't really want to do it. So, um, so asking yourself, you know, is this a yes for me? Is this a no for me? And I often say to people, if, you, if it's too difficult to say no to someone's face, tell them you're going to check your diary and get back to them. And that will give you a bit of time to reflect on whether that's something that you want to do or whether you want to send them an email and, and say no over email or something like that. And on the topic of saying no, like at what point, how do you balance the yeses to the noes? Because obviously you can't say no to everything. There's a quote from Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, I think. And he said, the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. So it, I suppose it depends where you are in your career. When we're starting out, I think we we say yes to every opportunity that comes up. And then when we're more established, if we're saying yes to everything, we're not going to have time to do the really amazing things that do come along. So it's actually better to say no to to most things. I suppose a possible. good thing to do is almost like step back and then look at your looking like internally and think like, can I actually cope with all these things I'm saying yes to? Do I currently feel stressed and burnt out? Is something like is something bothering me that I'm not really sure what it is? Maybe I'm saying yes to too many things. Totally, yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you're feeling overwhelmed, it might be a good sign that it's actually um, yeah time to say no to some more things. It's it's kind of a cliche of um, like playing hard to get. But what I've noticed is that the more that you do say no, certainly in a business sense, the more desirable it is for you to be worked with. And it's so counterintuitive, and especially in the beginning when like, you need work to survive. And, and I, like, I, I come from, like my, my dad like, has always been self-employed all of his life. And his motto was basically just like, always do the work, always do the work. And I actually come to realise 
over the past couple of years that you're actually in a stronger position if you don't do all of the work and and I guess it's a scarcity mindset of just grabbing every single opportunity that comes in. Totally. I think we can get into that state of thinking, if I say no to this, what if this opportunity passes me by and it never comes again? And and we could end up just, yeah, overworking and not really enjoying our work because we we haven't had a chance to step back and pause and, and appreciate, you know, what we're doing. Yeah, I think there's lots to be said to to stepping back, as you said. I think so much of that comes down to people's fear of the future and what could come and but it's always something that they've created in their mind what can people do to not kind of have that future anxiety or whatever the phrase for I, it would I be? mean wouldn't wouldn't you Chloe wouldn't you describe anxiety as a fear of the future like specifically that absolutely yeah yeah so much of anxiety is us imagining things in the future and imagining the absolute worst case scenario so really, they call it catastrophization in um, cognitive behavioral therapy, where our minds will vividly imagine, you know, things going wrong. But actually, there's a technique that a lot of athletes and, you know, public speakers will use to help them to feel positive about upcoming events and, you know, expect the best rather than you know thinking the worst. And that's visualization. So playing a movie in your mind of how you want things to go in the future and whether that's you're imagining things going really positively if that's too much of a stretch for you perhaps just imagining that if things do go wrong you will handle them you will cope with you know whatever does arise um it can be really helpful just for creating a new image in my in our minds about things going well instead of instead of the worst case scenario with something like that would you recommend like writing things down like if you're feeling certain ways about stuff would you recommend writing them down and then like actioning them because I feel like trying to keep so many different things in your head might be quite hard yeah so it might be that you get into a bit of a routine with that so before you get out of bed in the morning you mentally play out the day and how you want it to go so you imagine yourself feeling calm taking breaks going out for a walk whatever it is that that you'd like to be happening that day. But of course, yeah, there's so many different tools and things we could be doing. And I think we can't do everything. And it's about trying things and, and figuring out what works for you rather than having a million different, you know, personal development tools that we're doing. I think because people have such wild imaginations of all of the things that could potentially go wrong, is it, I mean, what's the balance? Do you recommend that they just visualise and picture, so say they're going to be speaking, would you just recommend that they they picture themselves walking up to the stage and then they go up and they pick up the microphone and and they and they go through that whole process or is it worth spending time worrying about well what do i do if my slides don't load and then and then so that you can plan well if the slides don't load then i go and do this and i and just so that you know that it's not going to be a massive problem or would you not spend your time in that kind of negative space would you just only look at what like what's the balance good question so for me personally i would imagine it going well i think i would use all my senses to imagine the feeling of my body how i want to be standing imagine making eye contact with the audience I'd imagine the the sound of my voice and speaking slowly and clearly and taking deep breaths. People might want to do something like imagining their computer, I don't know, breaks down or something. They have to do it without their slides. You could do that if if that feels like it might be helpful. But 
I think as well, if we imagine it going well and imagine ourselves feeling confident, we go into that situation feeling more confident because we've, we've, you know, when we imagine something, the same parts of our brain are being used as if we're doing it for real. So we've created that blueprint and that expectation that it's going to go well in our brains beforehand. I remember reading, I don't remember where it was, might have been Brene Brown, but I remember reading that when you go into an interview, they, they did kind of a test of they set up a, an interview scenario and people go in and half of the the contestants were like designed to drop coffee over themselves and kind of overwhelmingly the people that went into that job interview dropped coffee on themselves were rated higher in terms of likability and more likely to get the job because they'd kind of shown that that human side and that we that they weren't perfect and they're not completely polished and which is quite kind of a nice almost like backup to have in in the back of your head of like if I fuck this all up like people will actually probably think it's quite like quite nice because it's more human I think that's called the the pratfall effect where people actually like you if you show some imperfections and you know we're seeing that so much now with people being vulnerable and open about things they struggle with and sharing their failures and I think it helps us to feel more connected to them and makes them more likable ultimately. Yeah, you definitely see that on social media these days because it's gone from being this place of perfection to almost the people who are succeeding now are the ones who are being more honest and being open and talking about their kind of flaws and things that make them not this perfect human. I think that's definitely a good thing. But then unfortunately, we've got the other side of it, of of cancel culture, where you're almost not allowed to have made a mistake 10 years ago. You know, even if you apologise for it, you can get cancelled. So I think we still have a long way to go in in recognising that we're all human, we're all going to make mistakes, and that's how we learn. And so I think we need to need to learn to be more forgiving of ourselves and each other when it comes to, to making mistakes. One of the most interesting things I, I found when I was researching you was the concept of learned helplessness. Could you describe what that is? I think this links back to studies that have been done where, I don't know if it was dogs or rats, they did experiments where dogs learned that they um, didn't matter what they did, they were going to get an electric shock. And even when the electric shock stopped, they remembered getting electric shocks in the past and so they um, didn't bother to move out of the way. I haven't described that that well, but you can hopefully understand the gist of that study. Um, They were just kind of resigned to the fact that they were about to get shocked. So they were just like, okay, well, there's nothing I can do. So they just take it. And we can learn that actually it doesn't matter what we do you know, we're still going to get the same results. And and of course, that is not the case because things are always changing. We're always evolving and growing. We can be adapting and changing what we do. Um, so let's not take, you know, past results just because something went badly in the past or didn't go to plan. Let's not think that that means that that's going to be the same for our, our future. Um, I think it's quite relevant in terms of, you know, if we've gone through traumatic events or if we've gone through difficulties in childhood to to somehow you know that's what I do a lot in hypnotherapy with people is helping their subconscious mind to learn that actually just because they got abandoned as children doesn't mean that's going to happen in their adult life it must be one of the hardest things to deal with with your clients is if if you recognize that they do have this learned helplessness of I mean what what are your what's your approach to helping someone through that because I would imagine it's quite a difficult thing to hear that like if if I was your client and I'm sat opposite you and you and you tell me 
well, this is, I'm sure you probably sugarcoat it a little bit nicer, but like <laughs> basically you're, you're doing this to yourself. You have made yourself helpless and you need to buck up and get out of it. You can see why I'm, I don't have a good bedside manner and shouldn't be doing your job, but <laughs> like, like how, how would you deal with that? Not like me. I think it comes to, to, from slowly introducing the idea that it's possible to change and reminding them of examples of times when they have handled things in the past and they have changed and transformed because often when we're in that more negative mindset about ourselves it's almost like we just filter out all the positive stuff and we just remember the negative things that have happened and I hear a lot from people that say they they always feel anxious or they've always been depressed but actually there have been times in their lives when they haven't felt anxious and they have felt happy so sometimes it's about connecting them to those experiences and reminding them that that's possible for them I think there is there is a thing that sometimes well for for human beings change is scary and it can almost seem easier to stay the same as you are depressed or anxious than um, it can seem to to change and, and to be free of that so so part of it is, yeah, slowly introducing that idea that that's possible. I think the most powerful example of that is that there are people who are told that unless they change their diet, they are going to die and they continue to eat themselves into a grave rather than actually make that change. And that is just such a powerful reminder of how difficult it can be to actually make a change you're you're presented with the facts of if you carry on going you are going to die and some people obviously that will be the jolt that they need and it will but that just goes to show that although yes we know change is definitely possible it's not easy i was watching a documentary yesterday called fantastic fungi which is all about mushrooms and they were saying that um they're doing studies all over the world with people having magic mushrooms in you know, medical settings with a, a doctor and a therapist. And they have these um, instantaneous experiences of um, sort of like a connection to something bigger than themselves, almost like they call it a mystical experience. And that is enough, really, really effective for things like alcoholism and stopping smoking, because people just have this sense that connection is something bigger than themselves. And that that has shown to be really effective for helping to people to change. And I hope that soon that sort of treatment will be available for people who are depressed or um, anxious to, to sort of open their mind to something different. It sounds quite extreme, but it's the, the research is really promising. So, For someone who doesn't have access to magic mushrooms currently, what kind of techniques would you suggest people start to do if they, if they realise there's something that they want to change about themselves, but they're not sure how to do that? I would say... I mean, one one really important aspect of it is to be kind to yourself because I think we can get ourselves into a cycle of if we don't achieve a goal, if we don't change, we beat ourselves up. And when we beat ourselves up, that actually saps our motivation. Mm-hmm. I think often we think I need to tell myself I'm, you know, terrible and that will give me energy and motivate me to be better. But actually the opposite happens. So being kind to ourselves, celebrating the small changes that we make, recognizing that it is a journey we don't suddenly you know you know overnight transform everything in our lives um it can be quick but for lots of us it is a journey and we're we're kind of taking two steps forwards one step back so being kind to yourself and I suppose the second thing is I would say trying to get to the root of where whatever it is that's that's keeping you stuck is is coming from so if we can identify 
you know, there was something that happened when you were eight, for example, and that caused you to believe that you're not good enough. And now you sabotage, you know, your success because you have this belief you're not good enough. If you can identify that and resolve that and, and heal that experience, it's like we just free ourselves up to, to make a change. So whether that's having therapy, whether that's journaling and, and writing a letter to your younger self um, and saying the things to your younger self that they needed to hear at that time, letting them know that they're, they're loved and they're worthy, whether that's having you know hypnotherapy. I think getting to the root of things can really help us to unlock a lot of, a lot of transformation. Could you go into a bit more detail about what hypnotherapy is and kind of and how you use it? Yeah, so it has a bit of a funny rep- reputation, I think. People, mm. when I meet people at dinner parties, they'll either be scared to look me in the eye, uh, thinking that I might try and hypnotise them against their will, or <laughs> they'll be desperate to try it. <laughs> so, so it's not what we see on the telly. I don't snap my fingers. I don't get anyone to stare into my eyes. It really is just an approach that helps us to, to bypass the conscious mind quieten down the conscious mind so that the subconscious where our thoughts and feelings and our habits originate from becomes more receptive and more able to let go of things from the past and absorb new positive beliefs about ourselves and change our perspectives and there's lots of different tools that are used within that but really it's just a a way of becoming more receptive subconsciously so that you can so that you can make changes and is that something that you can do yourself or do you need to do that with a professional? No. So I, I first got into it listening to recordings about 10 years ago or so. And yeah, there's loads of recordings that you can try out. Um, if you're working with a therapist, it's, it's more tailored and yeah. it's a slightly different experience, but we can make changes on our own. There's so many apps and, and recordings that we can access. So I would definitely recommend people to give that a try. So we talked a lot about change if you are suffering from anxiety or you've got these these issues do you you have to do a whole life upheaval and you have to change everything or are there smaller things that you can do it's it's very overwhelming and intimidating if we if we put that pressure on ourselves we need to change everything it is very often small changes but a number of very small changes that we make in our lives that adds up to a big difference so that might be making changes in your lifestyle, um, your diet, exercise, sleep, that sort of thing. You know, how much alcohol you're consuming. It might be, you know, getting, having therapy and resolving things from the past. Um, it might be including different tools like meditation and journaling and, um, you know, so many different things that we can be incorporating ourselves um but i would say lots of little changes add up to a big difference and and try things out and see what works for you and from your experience is there any would like specific thing that is a great place to start for the people that i talk to i would say the number one thing that holds people back is the inner critic and being hard on yourself and beating yourself up about things so Anything that you can do to to work on that is going to be helpful. So whether that's meditation, which helps you to recognise that you're not your thoughts and that your thoughts are not facts, just because you're having the thought mm-hmm. I'm not good enough doesn't actually mean that that's true. So I suppose when we're meditating, we can just take a step back from those thoughts and we can, instead of getting so caught up in them, just recognise that they're thoughts that pass through the mind and we can just observe them and, and let them go. 
that might be one thing I really like to do with people is to turn your inner critic into a character. So is there some kind of, um, I don't know, cartoon character or something from a film that kind of makes you laugh or smile um, that you can start to imagine your inner critic as. And I always think of mine as um, Angelica from the Rugrats. <laughs> if anyone used to watch that. Yeah. I can imagine her voice just, just you know, saying things to me and it just sounds silly and I can take yeah, it she a was lot very less seriously. Annoying. Extremely annoying, yes. <laughs> yes. And I suppose by by doing that, it's, yeah, you're, you've lightened everything up by by specifically choosing a stupid cartoon character it almost makes it laughable of the not to downplay what you're going through but to give it a name and to take it less seriously and i and i love what you say about your your thoughts aren't facts and by by making them into this little figure of fun that can be the constant reminder of no that's just angelica on my shoulder or for me i suppose it would be skeletor but just just picking that character and just, yeah, realising that they're a little idiot. Yeah, yeah, a little idiot. <laughs> Why do so many people find it so hard to talk about? Because it's something that I think every single person has felt anxious about things at some point, but yet we don't really have that honest and open discussions and... And if you say to someone, how are you doing? It's it's normally that the whole, the old cliche of, oh, I'm fine. Um, but w- one thing we're not really talking about, we're talking about mental health a lot more now, but specifically anxiety, I don't think is being raised. Why is it so difficult? Yeah, I think, I suppose when we ask our friends or people that we meet how they are, I think if, if I was to say, oh, I'm, I'm feeling really rubbish, you know, I'm feeling really down, we might be worried about how the other person's going to receive that and and not wanting to put that on someone else. So I think we kind of put on a face of being okay um, and not having those really honest conversations. And I think as well, like we we probably, when hearing that, might not know what to say or not, not know how to, to receive that. So I think in our culture, we've just got into the habit of not really talking about things. I suppose as well on social media, what is it that sells, you know, this image of perfection and glamour and happiness and positivity, you know, I suppose for a lot of influencers, that's, that's their business and that's their, their livelihood. And, and so to be talking too much about how you're really feeling, if you are struggling, might not, you know, be the thing that fits with your brand or what you're doing. But I always try to ask people, in fact, on my podcast, the first question I ask people is, how are you really? to really try and, um, yeah, figure out how people are really and have that honest conversation. And it might be about asking people twice, you know, how are you? But then later on you say, you know, how, how are you really? Ask people twice, give them a bit more of a chance if you really want to know how they're feeling. But I suppose there's so much shame as well. You know, we, you know, mental health has a long-standing stigma. You know, we still have images of people in straight jackets and you know lots of negative connotations when it comes to things around mental health and I think um in a society that almost demands us to be perfect then it can be a difficult thing to to open up about but I think more and more people are choosing to speak up and normalizing the fact that we all struggle from time to time that it's okay to we you know we all have mental health it's not something that only some people have and that fluctuates depending on the day and what's going on and 
so many different factors. So if someone comes to you and says, I'm feeling anxious, what would be a good response to that? Yeah, so it might just be that you ask them more questions. I think we often think or put this pressure on ourselves that we have to fix the person and we have to find the right thing to say. And we've got to just, you know, fix this mess and, you know, move on (laughs) with things. But actually, sometimes there's nothing that you can say that's going to fix that person. And actually just allowing that person to speak about how they're feeling, giving them the space to express can be the best thing that you can do. It might be that you ask them what they need. You know, do they need practical help with something? Do they need someone to to go to the doctors with them? Or do they need help with um, their children, practical things? Or is it that they just need someone to listen? Um, Or do they want practical advice? So you can ask that person what it is that they need and see what what they come up with as well. And you mentioned earlier the the writing of the list of the things that are, are worrying you. I know that definitely works with my sister when she'll get herself complete and she's had panic attacks in the past and sometimes she'll she'll phone my girlfriend or I and you can tell that she's not breathing properly and she's getting herself into a state and for her what works so well is we go okay well what what is it that's bothering you and then we start to write out a list and then we look at how we're going to tackle the things on the list and by the time the 45 minute conversation is over and we've listed out these these things that are all not the end of the world and things that we can deal with it's like oh you've you've got no money this month and you owe this well okay well you can borrow that from here and then you can pay that off and that makes you feel better about that and then you can do an extra shift here to make and we we just kind of lay everything out and once she's managed to to process it like that she just feels better about everything yeah that's such a good idea i think um recognizing what you can control and what is outside of your control is is quite powerful so there's a lot going on in the world right now that we just can't control and sometimes just recognizing that and telling reminding ourselves that's what we need to let go of but actually what can we control what what things can we take a bit of action on and that can help us to to feel calmer like we're moving things forward one one thing that i've heard you talk about is how our self-worth can fluctuate which is an interesting concept why does that happen and how does that appear so obviously our worth as human beings never fluctuates but our perception of our worth can fluctuate and it can be to do with things that are going on in our lives say you get made redundant or something like that those sorts of things can really have a knock on our self-esteem on our confidence how we feel about ourselves but I think there is something about trying to remember that actually our worth as human beings is always a constant. We are always incredibly valuable as human beings. And these external things actually don't don't make us less valuable. We just think they do. Um, And I think one thing that I often like to talk about is trying to see yourself through the eyes of someone that loves you. Because, you know, if I, I don't know, if I experience a failure at work, that doesn't affect how much my best friend loves or respects or cares about me or how they view me in any way. They love me no matter what. So um, it can be helpful just to start to see ourselves through the eyes of someone else, someone that loves us. And remember that those things that seem so important actually aren't so important. How important is it to be yourself? Yeah, just be yourself. It sounds so simple. Just be yourself. But sometimes I think that can seem like the hardest thing when we're really self-conscious. What happens is that we are worried about what other people think and we tense up 
And so being ourselves feels almost impossible. Um, I think when we can learn to relax and calm our nervous system down and if we can learn to accept ourselves as we are, that enables our, you know, authentic self to, to come through. But if we're constantly worrying about what other people think and, and, and adapting how we behave and what we say and what we do, depending on what we want or what we think others want us to do, then we're not going to be, you know, our really ourselves. And I think the reality is that people are going to like you or not. And we can't actually control what other people think. Yeah. I think we like to think we can control what other people think of us. But, you know, you being your repressed self might be equally as annoying to, to one person. You being your authentic self might be annoying to another person. So I think we may as well, you know, try and relax into ourselves as much as possible because we're never going to be liked by everyone. Yeah. And I feel like if you're not liked by the group of people that you're around, if you're your true self, you need to find different people to be around. Totally, totally. It's a good sign that they're not your they're not your people. Yeah. So your first book was about anxiety and then your second book was more about confidence. Would you say that confidence is almost the opposite of anxiety in a strange way? It's like there's not there's not an opposite emotion that we have next to anxiety really other than I suppose calmness um but but I think confidence sort of grows from there would that be yeah yeah I think so I think my my idea with it was that once we've you know calmed our anxiety then we can start to step into more and more confidence more and more self-esteem but confidence is a funny one as well I think we often we often look at people and presume they are really confident, but actually you you get to know the person or you find out later that actually they might have been feeling nervous or anxious. Um, you know, one example is Adele, the, the singer, who gets so nervous before performing that she's been known to projectile vomit. And yet we look at her performances and think she just she must know how amazing she is. How can she possibly doubt herself? Um, you know, Beyonce is a massive perfectionist. Michelle Obama has imposter syndrome. So actually what we think is confidence and what we perceive as confidence is quite often someone being courageous, someone feeling nervous or having self-doubt and giving it a try. So I like to think of confidence as, um, you know, what comes from experience, but also just the willingness to give things a try and being open to, to seeing how things go. I think it's so important to have those big role models come out and be honest about those kind of things because that's another thing that will create anxiety in you is by seeing people who are so seem so confident and feeling like oh, I, I could never be like that so it's so great for there to be people to say like look this is fine like I experienced this and I think so many people do and I think I heard you say that 50% of people say they're shy which just seems crazy because well, it's not, it doesn't seem like that. But when you look at the outside world, you would think no way is that true. I guess it's a thing of, you know, the, the front that we put on to the world and then the reality, you know, below the surface can be quite different. Um, but yeah, sh shyness, very, very common. Imposter syndrome, uh, depending on which survey you read between 50 and 80 or 90% of humans experience imposter syndrome. So it's almost a universal Thing. And yet we think to ourselves, everyone else knows what they're doing. Everyone else is has got their shit together and I'm the only one that 
experiences this fear, but it's just not true. You mentioned Beyonce there, and I can't remember where I where I heard this, and it might have been you saying it, but um, I I heard recently that she can't cook a meal because her all of her time has been spent becoming Beyonce and doing all of the other stuff like singing and dancing. And like, it's quite funny to think of someone that we put on such a pedestal that if you asked her to make your beans on toast, she'd butcher it. Yeah, I think that was in The Anxiety Solution. I saw her in an interview saying that she put um, oven chips in a deep fat fryer and caused right. a massive, <laughs> massive mess. So no one's perfect, not even not even Beyonce. No one's perfect. And and it's it's so crazy when we get we get guests on the show that uh, are people that in our own minds, we've kind of built up to be huge megastars. And when you meet them and, and they're, they're just worried about like the most normal of things and you're like, but, but you're like, you've got this career and this book and this job and you've got all of these things and still they're, they're, everyone goes through these worries. Yeah. I, I saw, Lisa, I don't know if it was Russell Brand talking on his podcast about how celebrities can sometimes be the ones with, the lowest self-esteem because they are so used to hearing other people's opinions of them, whether they're good or bad, and they learn to hang their self-esteem on the opinions of other people. And of course, that's not very stable ground because that's not within our control. So it doesn't matter who you are, you're not immune to, to self-doubt and anxiety. I think one of the most wacky things is worrying about worrying. Yes, yes. Um it's something that I see a lot that people think that they are going crazy or they're going to lose their minds or, you know, they're worrying about something and then worrying about the fact that they're worrying. So um, I think it, it just goes, I mean, I want to remind people that you're not, you're not losing your mind. You're not, you're not going crazy. Anxiety is really normal. You're not going to feel that way forever. You know, you might be feeling horrendous now if you're in that cycle of not being able to stop worrying or switch off from something but it's not going to last you know our moods always change our our mental state always change it's changing all the time so um i think i think it is helpful to to normalize normalize worrying and, and know that it doesn't mean that you're you're losing your mind and you advocate taking a time to sit down and worry yeah so there's something from cognitive behavioral therapy called worry time where we set aside a certain time of the day, say it's like five o'clock in the afternoon, and we spend that time focusing on our worries. And a bit like what you were saying before, you know, writing them down and thinking about what's what's within my control, what can I take some action on, what can I control, and what's actually completely outside of my control, and sort of taking some deep breaths and affirming to yourself, right, I'm going to let this go. Um, but when we're ruminating and worrying, um, taking action is one of the best ways to get out of that cycle of rumination. So if you're worrying about a presentation, starting to put the slides together, taking a bit of action is going to make you feel 10 times better because you've gotten started rather than having it hanging over you, for example. Yeah, I heard you say if your heart races, head towards it. And I think that's such a great, inspiring quote. So I was at a, a women's circle a while ago and we were talking about the topic of shame and I think all of us were quite nervous to talk about this very you know sensitive topic in front of a load of strangers and the leader of the women's circle said if your heart's racing that means it's your turn to speak and you know so often our hearts are racing because there's something within us that's saying actually this is important 
and this is important to me. And so instead of running away from that, can we see that as a sign to speak up anyway and and know that it's not it's not a sign to run away when we're having our, our heart racing. It could actually be a sign to, to sort of lean into that. So I know we speak to a lot of young creatives who would love to start a creative business, start doing something, but they just have that f- fear of like, oh, I, the fear of starting, I suppose. What would your advice be to someone who knows they want to do something, but just are too scared to start? Yeah, it's such a such a common one. So I think it comes down to breaking it down into tiny, tiny steps. Because if we're saying to ourselves, right, launch a business, start a blog. Um, these are big tasks, big projects that are going to seem really overwhelming and intimidating. So what's the first tiny step that someone can take? And that might just be 30 minutes of research or booking a phone call with someone to get some inspiration and ideas. Really the tiniest little step. And then once we start to take a bit of action and build some momentum, that grows our confidence. We learn that it's not as scary as it seems and we're we're kind of on that path. But I think, yeah, tiny step to begin with. Yeah. Because our our natural human tendency is to focus on the negative first before we focus on the positive, right? There's something called negativity bias where as human beings we're wired to remember the the dangers, the the negative things. And that would have helped us with survival, you know, when we were living in much more dangerous times. But it's not necessarily that conducive to being happy. So it helps if we can start to focus on the positive things, to train ourselves to be more positive. I suppose the classic example of this is with a gratitude practice. It sounds like a fluffy kind of idea to have a gratitude practice, but actually there's loads of evidence to say that making lists of things that we're grateful for trains our minds to to be more positive because we look for the the good things more and more in our lives that would be a nice kind of package of once you once you've finished worry time then to move into gratitude because then you're you're balancing it out the other side of the equation absolutely yeah that would be perfect little journaling exercise for people to do to end on a on a positive note I've got total empathy for anyone who is struggling to start because naturally they are feeling the negative emotions first because that's human. That's what we're supposed to be. There's the negativity bias. So it's, it's really just feeling the fear and doing it anyway. It's knowing that your heart's being out of your chest. This is your, this is your time to go. And, and I guess looking for the positives, reframing that as from a negative energy into a positive energy, because there's, isn't there and you would know better than me but isn't there research that that shows that what happens within the body uh when you're nervous or frightened is is the same effect as being excited but we just perceive it in a different way we could label you know butterflies in our stomach that extra energy that comes from adrenaline we could label that as fear or we could label it as excitement so Obviously, that's not going to work in every situation, but if it's something like putting your work out there or doing a talk or a presentation, telling yourself, I'm excited and reminding yourself this is an opportunity and, you know, that, that good things can come out of it, I think, can help us to reframe reframe that in our minds. Yeah, I found that really useful. I think David told me that a few years ago and since telling me that it has made such a difference, especially when it comes to like doing a talk or something. It's just that 
thinking of a future that's really positive that well I'm excited for the end of this because I know how it's going to be because normally when I do talks and presentations I finish it I get an adrenaline rush and I'm like oh my god that was so good I'm really pleased with what I did there and it's remembering those positive times from what's happened before and not even allowing your brain to think well this could be the worst thing ever Mm, totally totally I suppose the difficult thing is when it's it's the first time and it's because we're we're only cool now because we've got enough under our uh, under our belt to realize that okay we are quite good at this and we, um, it hasn't flopped and we can go so it's just it's it's having the courage to take those first steps that's going to be the hardest but I think from when you first told me that and I first started to put it into action I thought back to doing presentations at school like there's always somewhere before you've done something similar mm. unless you're five and you're listening to this like there's probably something similar you've done in the past that has been close enough to it that has turned out well. I feel like we've got a lot of life experience and it ta- it's good to kind of look back and think, well, what did go well in the past? Even if it was just a presentation you did in year four about cars or something. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's always other, yeah, other skills that we can be transferring to what we're doing. But I mean, some of it I think is just feeling nervous and knowing that it's okay to, to feel nervous. It's not... We're not going to die. It's not comfortable, but it's going to get easier the more we do it. So don't let the fear hold you back. You know, give it a try and, and trust that, you know, you're going to grow in confidence the more that you do it. And I mean, for you, that you must have really, really worked on that because to start your, like when you get your first client and you're going to be, you're coming from someone who's really struggled with anxiety and now you're going to be advising someone else how to deal with that I mean now seven like seven years into your career you can look back and be like you you've you've got your chops now but when like it must have been scary taking on that first client and I'm sure you had a lot of questions in your mind of can I actually help this person get through these things that I was suffering with very recently definitely not not that easy at all and a big kind of learning experience and you know, using a lot of different tools myself to to help myself. And, um, but I I know now that it's possible. And I I think it helps me to help other people because I've, I've learned that we can, we can train our nervous system to be calmer, just because we are one way at some other point in the past doesn't mean that we are going to be that way forever. There's so much that we can do to change. And I know that, yeah, the fact that I've experienced that myself helps me to, to help other people. So what would your number one piece of advice, um, where can, because because I think everything we talked about today is are, are steps on a journey. What would be the easiest thing that people can implement that they could start tomorrow without too much kind of disruption to their normal lives that would would kind of bring around a, a calmer and a more relaxed kind of environment? I am a massive fan of meditation. I know that's probably not what people want to hear because it's one of those things that you have to do every day really to get the benefits from. It's not something that you do once that magically cures you. But for me, I feel like has changed my brain. I feel like my nervous system just goes like this and my brain, I don't know what it's done. I mean, I've heard that meditation actually does change the structure of the brain. It changes the way that the two hemispheres of your brain interact with each other. I do something called transcendental meditation where they give you a mantra and you say the mantra to yourself and it really calms you down and yeah, trains your brain to be more present and to step back from your thoughts. So 
I would highly recommend that. I, you know, apps are great for meditation, but if you want to take it really seriously, that nothing beats going on a retreat, if that's available to you, you know, not, not now, obviously, but, you know, hopefully in a few months time, um, having a teacher that you can ask questions of and, and really instill that practice. And for me, I would, if I had to pay for my meditation, I would pay thousands and thousands and thousands a year because it's so, so valuable to me. It's, it's amazing. Amazing. I was hoping you were going to say magic mushrooms, but uh, <laughs> meditation will take that. <laughs> amazing. So um, where can people find you online? I am on Instagram at Chloe Brotheridge. My podcast is called The Karma You Podcast. And if anyone wants to get some free resources for anxiety, they can go to karmayou.com forward slash free. Amazing. Thank you Thanks so much. Thank you. This is great. Thanks so much for listening. If you get any value from these episodes, it would mean the world to us if you could share the podcast with someone who needs it. You can always reach out to us on Instagram at rebelscreate or head over to creativerebels.co. And remember, always be creating. See ya.